0: Seven hundred footprints between your front porch and We have 18 years to
1: count them up in time
2: Welcome to this episode of The Art Box, recording from the 39th Annual Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko, Nevada and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association provides creative opportunities for all ages. Get creative with us at the Mesquite Fine Arts Center located at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartscenter.com or on Facebook, The Art Box.
0: Steve, this is pretty exciting. I went to the open mic, Cowboy Poetry, I found Karen Terry. Karen, just to let you know, Steve and I have both eaten lunch. You said some people cautioned you that it made them sick. Welcome.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: We're glad you're here. Would you like to read your poem first and then tell us a little bit how it came to be and how you were influenced by where you live?
3: Sure. I would love to do that. So, This is a poem. It's titled Tamsin Donner Commits Horrid Acts from Her Husband. And it was originally published in Sierra Nevada Review in the spring of 2008. And it begins with an epigraph from an army sergeant in the eastward bound army after conquering California. This was 1847. The army came back through Truckee and burned down all of the evidence of the Donner Party. And the quote from him is, the cabins by order of major swords were fired. And with them, everything connected with this horrid and melancholy tragedy were consumed. And and this was uh, one of the, the quotes that inspired me to write this poem. The tent canvas from the wagon, a pebbly texture sagging with ice, crackling in the cold night air, wind monologues, dead cold trees from within Tamson and her dying husband watched the layer of canvas fearing its failure, the loss of that distinction between inside and outside. Storms lasted 10 days at a time, starving. So bones showed through into a new shape of the person. Now the body is the shape of what's inside the inside emerges after he died. She stroked his body, the bones and the tendons like wrapping twine around his femur, his radius, and ulna. She dressed him. Then she undressed him to use his clothing to warm herself. He lay naked under a threadbare quilt. Midwest quilting socials sewed bills into the squares that hope sent a freshly cut grass. She removed the blanket and wrapped herself in it, gazing and not gazing, Was she still the woman who married him? Was he, in death, the man she married? Hampson licked his wrist, remembering. She used her teeth as when he used to bite little purple marks into her neck. She nibbled along the inside of his arm. She felt most familiar with this part of him, what was visible as he worked, what touched her when he held her face to kiss her, most familiar and most proprietary. A penknife was all that was needed here to slice out a piece like the curve of pink melon from its rind. The axe was used later, maybe, to cut the bones. Her tongue ran across the inside of the inside of his arm, its damp baby pink surprising beneath the brown paper bag skin. As if here was the man she married, here was the untouched part. She savored the hope of him in the hard white desert of winter, his release from the packaging of his body, and for her, a surrender to the inside world, the outside layers collapsing inwards, heavy tent walls sagging. Silence pressed upon her. She chewed slowly to make him last, the soft pink arm, her eyes closed in pleasure. Wow.
0: What do you think, Steve?
1: I think that was interesting. It it made me feel like I thought of survival. Mm -hmm.
0: It was a very visual poem with a lot of emotional texture to it as well. Mm, Thank you. So, Karen, was this your first time at the Cowboy Poetry Gathering and your first time reading for an open mic session?
3: So I have read at many open mic sessions, but this was my first time at the Cowboy Poetry Gathering, and I felt I was very nervous there because this isn't really a cowboy poem. And so I I really felt the risk I was taking in sharing something like this.
1: Well, it is it is history, and it's West history, right?
3: That was what I was hoping. It was about as close as I could get in, you know, in in a poem that was history and also character. I was really impressed by how many of the cowboy poems are tributes or even elegies to people who had mentored them or people they admired. And so I feel like this poem, when I wrote it, I had moved to Truckee in 2000. Well, I moved up to Lake Tahoe in 2004 from San Francisco, and I just became obsessed with the Donner Party doing research. I was working out of a coffee shop as a writer and also a teacher. I just started researching Tamsin Donner and then imagining, you know, getting into her character and trying to imagine what it was like for her that winter.
0: It must have surely been terrible. Now, I think you said when you were telling everybody about your poem that the children were sent off out of there so they survived.
3: Yes, it's really interesting when you read about the tragedy. It seems like it was a mystery, it was unknown happening secretly, but actually people knew that the Donner party was marooned and trapped, but there just weren't many uh, resources available to rescue them. And it was hard to get to them. So rescuers had to hike in and, you know, that winter they had oh, something like 15 or 20 feet of snow in a couple of weeks. There were three rescue parties over the winter. The first one, I believe, is when Tamsin Donner was able to send her three children away. So they were rescued, Uh, but her husband was already injured. It's thought that he had an axe injury, possibly gangrenous already onto his leg. And so she chose to stay and take care of him. And I imagine she knew that that meant that she would not survive or that there is at least a good chance, right? Because, um, And so that, you know, taking that kind of choice, choosing to stay. And, you know, there is actually, there hasn't been any actual evidence discovered that cannibalism happened with the Donner Party. However, a lot of the evidence was burned, as you can see, you know, by the army when they came back through. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the um I think it was a sci- Scientific American did an article in the nineties. They had some experts come through and, and test and and search at the sites and they found signs of extreme starvation but not no actual evidence of cannibalism, but you know, that's it's hard to say whether it happened or not. There is one survivor who became infamous by talking about the fact that he that there was cannibalism. And I think the story goes that he opened a hamburger shop. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little odd. <laughs> but it helped in his marketing. Sure. You know, he became he became infamous. Guess, oh, what was true. the
1: name of his hamburger shop?
3: Oh, I don't know. I'll have to look that up.
1: Left arm hamburger.
3: Oh, shop stop! Stop! Like
1: stop! stop. <laughs> we have we have good ribs.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh yes. Okay. I'm turning his bike off for okay, a while. Okay. He's, no, he's he's in timeout. <laughs> no, you can turn it back on if you behave. Karen, have you written other poetry?
3: I have. So, I am a poet. I have a book of poems that is called Bite and Blood, and it's available um it's through Finishing Line Press, and it is at the Local bookstores here in Truckee and in Reno, and through the the press itself, and then I also sell copies um, when I go to events, literary events. the The title poem "Bite and Blood" is actually about a deer. So a lot of my poems have to do with like character, like this poem, uh, the Tamsin Donner poem, uh, different characters, people that I'm. I'm trying to get to know or understand or comprehend, you know, what their what it's like to be in their shoes. And then I write a lot about animals and animal human interactions and how how they can coexist. The bite and blood is actually about a deer that I watched down on the Truckee River one one winter morning on a walk. There was a deer that I saw, it was a really cold, it was during a cold snap several winters ago when we had some arctic freeze happening. I was down walking on the river, and I saw two coyotes, and then soon after I saw the coyotes, I saw a deer that had an injured leg, so it was kind of limping on three legs, and it crossed the river. It went through the ice and the water, it crossed the river, and went back, back up the other side, and I just was wondering how long how long it would be able to keep going you know right karen so you teach at a college yes so i am an instructor in english uh, composition and writing at sierra college sierra college is a community college in california it's based in rockland and we have three campuses one in rockland one in grass valley and one in truckee and i teach on the ground but of course, like everyone during the pandemic, we moved to online, and the college was online before as well, but so I teach online and in person.
0: Did you always and like I, writing when you were little? Did you always like to write poems yes. and novels?
3: Yes. I started keeping a journal, I think, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and so I have, I have books and books of journals. I've saved them all. I'm really scared to ever go back and look at them. But uh, I've always been a writer. In college, I studied biology and environmental studies. In my undergraduate, I went to University of Vermont. I just didn't think that writing was something I could do to make a life out of. And so when I finished college, I, was, I worked in environmental education, outdoors in like adventure settings with students, and then at some point, I went back to school and I got my master's of fine arts in creative writing. I just decided I continued to write and take classes in writing. And I decided I didn't know where it was going to take me, but it was my passion. And I just decided to, to follow that. And then when I graduated with my MFA, building community has always been my focus. So I started reaching out to writers in the area and building community, planning open mics, creating events, and was offered a position teaching at Sierra Nevada College, which has since been absorbed into part of the University of Nevada, Reno. It's the Lake Tahoe campus now. And then I taught for a while at Lake Tahoe Community College in South Lake, and now I teach at Sierra College. But at the same time, I also started my own business as a writing coach and an editor. And so half my time is spent... Working in Tangled roots writing and coaching other writers and editing manuscripts oh all right, and you have a website? I do so the website if you just google Tangled roots writing, it should come up okay um, and uh, so I have a, a website there I also workshops and coaching and editing and then I also have a blog I share about different different events and try to help connect people to all of our arts and literary community.
0: You're a busy lady. Can you tell us about your creative process, and do you ever get writer's block? If so, what mm-hmm. do you do then? Yeah, I do.
3: I, I struggle with writer's block a lot. I feel like creativity kind of comes in waves. Sometimes it gets, for three weeks I might feel really creative, and then two or three weeks will go by when I, I'm not doing any writing at all. It can get frustrating one of my mentors at Goddard College when I got my NFA, she said to look at that cycle as part of the writing process and not to actually label that time not writing as writer's block, which, you know, we try to do. But I do read a lot. And part of my process is reading. And I read novels, nonfiction, fiction. I read poetry. I like reading literary criticism. So I just mix it up. And I see reading time as part of my creative time. I think the other big part of my creative process is getting outside in nature every day. So I have a young cattle dog who's three. So obviously she needs to get out a lot every day too. So I'm, I'm out walking in the snow or cross country skiing or, you know, walking along the river uh, with her for at least an hour or two. And then I start with journaling, probably start most of my poems in my journal and then break out from there when I start working on them.
0: It sounds like you have some good sources for inspiration. Do you ever work on more than one uh,
3: poem or story at a time? Yeah, so it's interesting. What I find when I write a poem is that when I go back in to revise it, I'm like digging in deeper, right? There might be a word or a phrase that like a trap door and if you open that you'll find all this stuff underneath it to explore so oftentimes what happens is that one poem will break out into two or three poems by the end the two or three poems are focusing in in, in more detail in one section of it so they're related oftentimes you know two or three or four poems um, so i work in batches and then Recently, I've been pushing myself to write more personal essays, and so I've been developing a short series of personal essays. Those, I think I, I can just work on one at a time.
0: I wanted to ask you about AI.
3: Yeah, you know, I feel like we're all still learning about AI, plus it's evolving so quickly that a year ago, even the beginning of last semester, last fall, colleges were offering courses for instructors to figure out how to manage the influence, the use of it in their classes. I've seen different art forums online really struggle with having conversations among members, trying to figure out how they're going to include AI or exclude AI influences in the art that they consider to be art. I think it's it's really early still to, to know how it's going to influence art in general. On the other hand, it's not too early to. Be figuring out how we how we what we're doing with it right so in some ways I see it as another tool like using Microsoft Word or Photoshop. obviously it does a lot more than those things in my classes I know a lot of instructors who will encourage people to start a draft using AI and then go from there as a writer and a teacher what I focus on the most is helping students and people. Figure out what's unique and original in their own voice. Like what can they write that no one else could write? You know, that's the thing to really go deeper into. And finding the heart of your voice ultimately is going to come from you and not AI. So personally, I don't use AI in any of my process for writing. I really enjoy finding the quirky, crazy, unexpected association that, someone's brain creates and it's voice is so important to an individual writer. And that's what I really focus on in reading and in, in creating and teaching.
1: Yeah. I think keyword there is, is create.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And creating something that is so original and unique to you. I think oftentimes I tell writers like what you're, you're going to write your strongest writing if you choose something and a perspective on that subject that only you have. And so what is it about you that you bring to the way you see this? So unique and original, you know, what can you write that no one else could write? So,
1: and and that's all forms of
3: art. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Right. Whether you're painting or anything. Yeah. So I am uh, hopeful that we can keep that that approach and perspective and value on on the authentic. Yeah, I,
1: mean, I, I, I love your take on this, Karen.
3: Thank you.
0: After the open mic session, I said, Steve, mm-hmm. her work is so creative. It's so different.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, I feel like uh, and sometimes you have to trick yourself when you're writing because if you censor yourself according to what you think other people are going to think about you, then you just don't get the thing on the page that is so crazy different. I sometimes just trick myself to say, oh, this is just for me. I'm not going to publish this. I'm not going to put this out there. But at a certain point, when you've worked on it long enough, it becomes a thing separate from you on the page. And that's when you can start thinking about putting it out there.
1: Karen, if you could go back in time in the literary world, Mm. where would would you go and why?
3: Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, in some Two answers to that. In some ways I am kind of fascinated about Willa Cather. She's got a book that I just ordered. It's actually essays. And at the time when she wrote it I don't have the exact year, she calls it over forty. What she meant was that no one under forty would be interested in these subjects that I'm writing about. And that's so interesting for that time period. But it was a time when it was hard as a woman to be published unless you were writing about very domestic subjects. And for some reason, I feel like it would be interesting to go back to that time period and be a writer. The uh, more permanent answer is that I just like the idea of going back to the time before internet. I was thinking the other day, I'm really grateful that I grew up before internet and before the cell phone. And I know what it's like to have not to have that instant gratification and that quick, short, attention grab and the, you know, to grow up in a time when you could get away from that. You would actually, you know, I grew up with chickens and rabbits, and I actually helped the vet across the street raise some uh, wildlife that would be abandoned. So at one point, I had a squirrel that lived in my bedroom for a winter. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, And he would literally, I remember writing in my journal, and he would fall asleep on the back of my neck. And I know it's kind of strange, but... My parents allowed me to have the squirrel in my bedroom. So, you know, I just am really grateful. And I I like the idea of just being pre-internet. Even watching movies, it's fascinating to see the influence in storytelling and plot if you don't have that immediate information source of a cell phone or internet. Oh, that's right.
0: I've noticed some of the old stories seem to develop characters better and have better plots some of the newer ones there's so much action going on you can't figure mm-hmm. out who's who or what's going on or mm-hmm. you just get a surface level <laughs> idea of who the characters are
3: mm mm-hmm. I'm really interested in character character motivation you know character driven story is is what really fascinates me and and that's probably what what starts so many of my poems I'm curious about how cowboy poetry is defined and whether you feel like there's room for poems that might branch out and and overlap some subject matter, um, you know, or style, but also have other elements that aren't cowboy poetry for the gathering.
0: Well, we noticed last year in Open Mic, there were some poems that weren't about Cowboys or being on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Remember, Eddie talked about his poem was about getting eggs from a rooster and oh, uh, and living in a what was it? Living in a place with a morgue downstairs, and so mm-hmm. and we've we've only gone twice, but we've mm-hmm. I've noticed uh, you know there's the traditional cowboy poets, mostly men who mm-hmm. tell about stories on, on the ranch. But there's a younger group, especially of women, Mm -hmm. and there's a group of Native Americans who are doing non-traditional cowboy poetry. So the women might talk a little bit about being on a ranch, but mostly in their songs and stories, it's about being mothers or... Yes. Um, things that we can
3: identify with as a woman. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was really interested to learn more about the Native American presence in the gathering and in the cowboy culture. I did go to the movie showing about M. Scott Day. He wrote the book House of Dawn, House Made of Dawn, and... You guys can watch this movie. It's a documentary about him. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Words from the Bear. Okay. And it was beautiful. That's on my list.
0: Thank you so much for talking with us, Karen. This has been a fascinating discussion, and I love your poetry. It's so creative. Oh, thank you
3: so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Karen.
3: Okay. Bye now. Bye.
2: Thanks to Jesse Veeder for our music in this episode. The ArtBox sponsors, thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify and Amazon Music. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We welcome all comments. You can email us at artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.
3: Quiet songs, big ears, big heart a girl needs a dog